Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. Today we're going to be talking in our nutrition curriculum, looking at the endocrine system. So just to back up, I really recommend you go back into the Rob Jacobs Metabolism Podcast because I think that will help a lot with a lot of the stuff we're talking about because a really good 10,000 foot view as well as some really interesting takes on how the endocrine function at a cellular level. So go back to Rob Jacobs as well as always go through the module because I think this is going to be one that you're going to need a lot of support. Um, this could be a really deep module. So head up phpodcast.com, get a, become access as a member, get on the training or get on the nutritional curriculum and look at endocrine system as well as backlog. Go at cardiovascular system, look at the look at the nervous system, even look at metabolism, look at duality, look at variability. All these things are going to have a really important impact of really fully appreciating and understanding this. So make sure you head over to phpodcast.com to look, become a member there so you can access to all the curriculum. Plus about 49 to 50 other ones out there for your for your leisure. Before we get into this uh, endocrine system, let's talk about strength deficit. We've got a couple more weeks available on a pre-order, so shipment should be available here very shortly. We're really excited about that. Leveraging ratios between eccentric and concentric strength. How do you optimize performance for an athlete that we know has fits into a really nice, neat archetype, like a 100-meter sprinter, a wide receiver in football, or a shot putter, or potentially an interior lineman in football? So leveraging the difference between eccentric and eccentric ratios, strength deficit available for pre-order at phpodcast.com. With that comes a $10 discount as well as a copy of the PDF or the PDF copy of the programs that I did for the actual Army West Point football team that inspired this book. Also, realize.me, this is your command center for all health and performance data. I use it personally, I track everything there. I mean everything from all of my wearables, all of my stuff like Forstack and Nordboard and Dynamo, even all my training volume, wellness, RPE, all of my blood work, all is synced up into this one single source platform where I can see the impact. I can run experiments, I can run trials, I can do everything I want to really see the process or power of an intervention or not. Also too, you'll get access to discounts on supplements, blood panels, and much, much more. So go over to realize.me become a get on the wait list become a subscriber so you can get access to this tremendous platform that i think will be a huge value for everyone that gets it because it's been a huge asset for me and my staff here and uh, i cannot recommend it enough but without further ado let's get into this let's get into this actual module here because i think this is going to be a really really big one it's going to take some time to work through uh, and i hope you guys enjoy So let's get into this. We're gonna talk about principles of the endocrine system. Now, just to preface, I am not a doctor. I'm not a functional medicine doctor, not clinically trained. But what I would tell you is this, is that if we can look at this from the context and the lens, we should look through performance training, is the endocrine system is a powerful thing to understand and appreciate. And I'm gonna go through body recompositioning and looking at fat storage, muscle building as the primary mechanism, mechanisms or the lenses in which I look through the endocrine system or hormones. As we go through this, you'll see that there's going to be underlying risk factors that come through having high amounts of body fat or low amounts of muscle tissue. And that's something that we need to be cognizant of because instead of looking at this as a diagnosis or something that I want to uh, hang my hat on, I need to understand if I want to help someone put on lean muscle mass or burn fat that the disruption of endocrine function 
is going to be a rate limiting step to ultimately helping me help that person change their body composition or adding lean muscle mass. So having an appreciation first and foremost for that everything in terms of system, we've gone through a couple already, cardiovascular system and the interaction between the heart, the lungs, the arterial, the vascular, the capillary systems, looking at it from the immune system, which we'll get into here, the next nutrition, you know, this, this yin and yang of what is our immune function, you know, and then finally looking at it from a nervous system, this parasympathetic versus sympathetic, you know, all these things in some way, shape or form, you know, is a really heavy depth, a depth of knowledge that we need to understand to appreciate this. But coming back into this from first principles and systems, it's looking at is what is objectively true, matching that with what do I need to accomplish and finding the right model. Right, and we're looking at it from now the endocrine system perspective. I, I don't care when someone so tells me they have a pathology. I send them to the right person. When they start to tell me they're in a disease state and their health is compromised, I know already in my head I need to tell them to go see someone else. That's not my specialty. You come to me when you want to improve your body composition or increase your lean muscle mass or improve your performance, whether it's go faster, go farther, or push something heavier. You know, and that to me is where I really want to get across to us, the coaches. And there might be some clinically trained people out there who can work with pain or work with people in disease states. And I hope this resonates with you as well. It gives you confidence knowing that there are coaches out there who understand their scope and want to do a good job within that scope and understand the limitations of what it is that I don't have clinical training to do and still focusing on the areas that I'm doing. It's like when I'm looking at someone in a pain state in terms of movement. I do a function movement screen, I learned what not to do. And what we're gonna look at here with the endocrine system is I find someone has some sort of high level of body fat or low less, low level of muscle tissue. You know, my first instinct is what should I not do? You know, is they have high underlying risk factors for blood pressure and resting heart rate, or do they have some diagnosed thing? Are they on medications? And what can I do is really determined upon, you know, working with a clinician and understanding the scope in which I do. So just a, a long preface here, but everyone listen to this. This is gonna come off the guise of looking at this from, I'm just trying to improve someone's body comp and understanding how the endocrine system functions with that. And we're gonna go through the, the big hormones here, what I think really parlay in that. And there's more, and we need to look at hormones and this big aggregate thing as this, as this almost potential catalytic or rate limiting step into developing more muscle tissue or burning more fat in the whole grand scheme of things. So if we look at it from the context of what I just set it up as, what we're looking at this is this anabolic catabolic continuum, right? So if I look at it from anabolic builds, right? So I'm increasing the tissue and that could be both muscle and fat cell, right? So if we look at the hormones in isolation and saying, okay, the testosterone only builds muscle and potentially uh, something like leptin or uh, insulin might actually increase fat tissue. You know, like you can look at it in a binary sense, but you can look at it as this like, yin and yang counter counter recounter kind of a hormone setup and then from a catabolic of decreasing the size right again it's not this binary thing of like you know the things like cortisol and uh, catecholamines and potentially something like uh, glucagon only break down right they work in concert with the anabolic counterpart right and you know the level of 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 the actual hormone combined with potentially the receptor site sensitivity really dictates how this may function. Now, in regards to the way we want to set this up for this module specifically, is looking at this as, all, right, all this is doing is either being building a net positive 
of some sort of tissue, right? So if I'm in the right hormone setup and I'm in the right energy balance and I'm applying the right stress and stimulus, in theory, that should lead us into the right vector of either burning fat or building muscle, right? So it's this interplay of, okay, am I building fat or am I building muscle or am I decreasing fat or am I decreasing overall body mass and muscle? You know, and the end result is what is relatively speaking to what we had a goal in the first place. And our job right now when we start to look at this endocrine function is really setting up is what is my role here? Again, I'm not a clinician, but I'm definitely someone who's competent and capable of change someone's body composition in a positive manner and understanding really honestly, the devil's in the details here, but it's very simple things. And we'll go through that a lot more in the practical of, you know, what are the benefits of sleep, hydration, eating vegetables, being more mindful with reading, having adequate protein, being responsible with carbohydrate take, having adequate fat and right kinds of fat to get someone towards this net positive, right? That That's the guy, that's the deal here. That's the that's a 10,000 foot view is what is our job here, relatively speaking, to our actual scope and what we're asked to do. And if I can get that person closer to net gain of lean muscle mass or net loss of fat mass, then I'm going to be more valuable to that person. And I just want to set that up just as clearly as I can. That the endocrine system in regards to what my scope is, is just really figuring out how do I leverage what I can do within my scope to get a net gain of muscle or net loss of fat. Bottom line, no other thing or no agenda here. When they start to tell me, oh man, my adrenals aren't functioning right. I might have adrenal, I might have adrenal fatigue, or I might have Cushing's, or they might have some sort of thyroid issue and some Hashimoto's, or you know, man, I'm really struggling with like producing enough insulin or utilizing enough insulin, so I might be insulin resistant, type one or type or, or type one or type two diabetic. I, I don't. All that is really important. It's just way outside the scope of what I can do. My job after I find that out is to learn what other constraints I can do, right? So if they do have this pathology that they work through with a physician, whether it's a functional medicine doctor or their primary care physician, then I now have to associate what my job is to help them really prioritize that, right? Someone has adrenal issues, I might want to be really conscious of producing cortisol. If they have a thyroid issue, I might want to be really conscious of and make sure that I can maintain a steady metabolism. If they have insulin dysregulation, I might need to be really conscious of how I recommend intra-peri workout nutrition. All of this stuff has a huge impact on the bottom line and we need to be cognizant of the up and the downstream effects relatively speaking to it. The other big part here which I want to go into, and this is a huge part of the module, is Males and females are just different, right? Like from a from a 99%, we're all the same, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But that's that's a that's a big, big, big leap in terms of when we start to see hormonal distribution and what that has an impact on in terms of where and why we store fat, there are fundamental and massive differences from male to female. You know, and one of the things that I think is so important is when we start to track things like body composition, we could do a general body composition assessment, right? We can look at a biological impedance and just get a number, right? And that's that's good. That's a good start point, right? And when certain males are over 15% body fat, which I hate that they're kicking the goalpost, we're pushing the goalpost further and further and further. You know, back back when I was starting, it was probably like eight to 10, it was like a healthy male. Now it's 12 to 14 and it keeps getting further and further away from, you know, what is probably really actually healthy. And then females, females typically have to have still more general body fat for specifically their the mammary tissue or their, or their breast. And then, you know, they store more body fat in the lower body. And, you know, this is a natural response to them 
needing to reproduce, right? They have to they have to breastfeed and they have to have children eventually, right? And this I'm not saying that you have to, I'm just saying from a natural evolutionary sense is our hormones are set up for that simple distinction. You know, males can't reproduce and females can. So when we look at it from the level of where and why we store body fat, it's 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 predetermined in a lot of ways from a evolutionary and genetic and a actual um, XXY type of continuum here is looking at it, we store fat based off of some functional need, right? And what you'll see is males typically store body fat in their in their waist and their bilical area, right? And this is creates this classification of the android body type. And what we see is that's a risk factor, right? So if you look at waist to hip ratio, meaning that our waist is bigger than our hip, we have a higher risk for cardiovascular disease, higher risk for metabolic syndrome. So type two diabetes, type three diabetes, you know, all these things are, are in relation to a higher waist to hip ratio, meaning that we're storing more body fat in this umbilical area, right? Right around our belly button and our waist. So love handles right in front of that belly button, that, that belly that sticks out. Men are gonna have a higher potential to store body fat in that area. And we're gonna go through why here in a second, where females are inverted. They're gonna be more of a gynoid body type and they're gonna store more body fat in this gluteal fold area, right? And again, it goes into this distribution and pattern in which we store store in body fat that actually might lead to some potentially downstream effects of diseases that are estrogenic in relation like cancer and looking at women are higher risk for breast cancer right we store more body fat in that area because that's a natural evolutionary process but it also increases the risk and it goes into this idea that when we really break it down again we're going back to this just very simple just get a body composition see what number we're at, when we're higher levels of circulating body fat, or higher levels of body fat, not circulating body fat, there's gonna be increased risk. The next level is where we're storing it. If I'm storing it in the umbilical area, I'm gonna have certain risk factors that are associated with that. And if I'm storing it in the gluteal area or the lower quadrant, then I'm gonna have certain risk factors associated with that. And this is very proven. This is why insurance companies look at BMI, this is why insurance companies look at waist to hip ratio. These are known lifestyle risk factors that are going to have a direct impact on potentially pathologies down the road if we don't address it. These are facts. These are absolutely true. And what we can do from our point as coaches is build off of this truth that when people start to have higher levels of body fat that's net negative in regards to performance and aesthetics but also most importantly, disease and pathology. So we can potentially be the best line of preventative healthcare if we just simply understand that simple fact that high body fat and where we store it makes a huge difference. If I look at a waist to hip ratio and a circumference measurement, that's one aspect. Or I can start to look at it for a more regional body fat distribution and get a little bit more granular. And this is when we're getting into a little bit more of the specifics of potentially why we want to look at different body composition analysis to really assess whether that person is at risk or going to have this potentially rate limiting step to accomplishing their goal, right? And we might see the inverted here. Males start storing their body fat in their lower body means what? Probably means they're getting more female characteristics. They're becoming more estrogenic. And what is the biggest thing that we're seeing with a lot of males? is systemically lowered, lowered, lowered testosterone levels. What are we seeing with a lot of females in early onset menopause is decreased estrogen levels and increased testosterone. We're inverting it. 
we're inverting where we store body fat and the downstream effects that happen from a hormonal standpoint. So as we start to break down just from, hey, I wanna help this person gain muscle, I wanna help this person lose fat, and we start to see they have a high body fat level, lonely muscle mass, they're storing body fat either in their upper and their lower, lower halves, that means one thing or the other, and I start to build in potentially my nutritional protocols, my habits, I should start with habits and my lifestyle factors, my nutrition from a carbohydrate, fat, and protein type breakdown, from a nutrient timing setup, from a training test setup. And then we start to look at maybe they're inverted. I might need to associate, they need to get some sort of clinical diagnosis and see someone before I can start to really lay down some inroads because I'm always gonna come up net short. It could be lifestyle, absolutely. You know, this epigenetic component, right? We're not, no one's predetermined to be fat. It's the influence environment with their pre-existing genetics that makes them that way, right? And I'm not trying to be dismissive and body shame. What I'm saying is you're in a caloric surplus. You potentially might have a gene variant that actually has a higher risk of storing fat. You're sedentary you've now created this perfect storm to be overweight and obese. So what do we combat that? We reverse engineer the process. Okay, well, you have a crappy set of genes. We have to now look at it, what can I control? I can control how much energy I take in and how much energy I can expend. And then from there, I can get a little bit more nuanced of when I take in specific energy substrates and what type of energy expenditure I do. All the while, it's just being completely factual and saying, here's my job help them lose fat, build muscle, looking at it from, okay, they have this much body fat, it's above what we want in terms of function, right? Males above 15 and females above 25. And then we start to look at it from, hey, we're probably working with a, a smaller window as we get to elite level population. So six to eight for males and probably 15 to, seven, 15 to 17 for females. And then we start to look at this, where are they storing it? Males are storing it in their upper body. Okay, that means they probably have high levels of stress and they probably start to producing too much cortisol or start to put in these limiting factors to building muscle. And females are starting to store it in the lower body. Okay, they're probably too estrogenic and too calorically surplus and too much energy, def or energy lack of energy expenditure. And we start to build in our, our methods to improve this and help this. And that goes into this next level of what is the actual genetic component that makes this happen? One of the things that I actually pulled from a research article by Kara Rastikanu in 2012 is this gene variant HOX. And what the gene variant HOX does, it tells us where we're gonna store this alpha-2 receptor. And there's two receptor types that are really meaningful and impactful when we look at adipose tissue. Alpha is gonna decrease actual blood flow to the area and reduce lipolysis or fat burning. So if I look at it from, if I have the HOX gene variant, I'm gonna have a higher distribution of alpha-2 receptors in certain parts of my body that's gonna give me a higher higher level of storage of body fat in that specific area. Obviously males in upper body, so I'll have more alpha-2 receptors in the upper body or the torso for males. And then for females in the lower body, so I'll have a higher distribution of alpha-2 receptors in the females for lower body. And this is all stemming back from this HOX gene variant. And there's other genes associated with fat metabolism and fat association, it's just one example. So let's say that we have this HOX gene variant, which most of us do, and we start to have this higher distribution of fat storage in our upper body or lower body based off of that simple genetic makeup.
And we start to influence the environment by increasing energy intake and decreasing energy expenditure, we start to increase that. Sometimes we might see that males start having a higher HOX gene variant that relates into alpha-2 receptors in the lower body and sometimes inverted for the females. But as we start to look at, this is genetic, but we can't control that. What we can control is the epigenetic and looking at it from the counter is the beta-2 receptors or increasing blood flow to that area, increasing the uptake of catecholamines, increasing the rate in which we go through liberating of fatty acids through lipase and lipolysis, we start to improve our chances of this, right? It could mean something as simple as, are we doing a lot of long, slow distance? Do we have enough balanced fat? Are we too carbohydrate rich and too energy rich from high energy foods like high fructose corn syrup and sugar and really processed foods? All of this plays a huge role. And the other big part is age. Age is a huge factor here. The older we get, the more these genes or the more these receptor sites become active one way or the other, it becomes doubled down in that effect. It also is impacted by how long we're a certain body fat or body composition. The longer we're overweight, the longer our body fat is, the more things like leptin become dysregulated and insulin becomes dysregulated and the harder it is to break this path, right? You're thinking about it from the simple principle of reversibility. The longer I'm somewhere doing something, the longer it will last, right? So if I train for 10 years consecutively, that's gonna have a lot slower a lot slower de-adaptation phase. So if I'm overweight for 10 years, that's gonna take a lot longer to reset, right? That homeostatic set point is now way higher, right? We're thinking we need to be 300 pounds and overweight and having this much surplus energy for some fundamental reason, right? Your body doesn't know that you've been overeating and under-exercising without any clear purpose or reason. And then all of a sudden it starts to get comfortable in that position. It becomes harder and harder to break that cycle. But the idea is, if we invert this, this where we're predetermined from a genetic standpoint to store body fat based on alpha-2 receptors, we can flip it on its head and look at the antagonist or beta-2 receptors to increase blood flow, to increase lipolysis, and try to figure out the strategies to upregulate beta-2 receptor sites. And this goes into that hormone sensitivity. This goes into that level of hormones. This goes into, again, this idea of like, all right, I need to have a really good appreciation and bandwidth in this area to really help someone change their body composition. Never diagnosing, never clinically treating someone, just saying, if I don't understand this fundamental aspect of hormonal control, then I gotta really look at it from internally of, I probably shouldn't be doing this in the first place if I don't have at least an appreciation for this. So males are gonna be more associated with this androgenic type of approach, right? This android type body type, which is kind of where the root word of that is. And that's associated with more androgenic hormones, right? Stuff that builds, right? Testosterone, DHEA. You know, this stuff is more of the building process where females are gonna be more estrogenic, right? They're gonna be more associated with that gynoid body type. And it's not inverted, right? There's not one versus the other. Females do have circulating levels of testosterone. Males have circulating levels of estrogen. In fact, the ratio between the two is what really optimizes performance here. But the idea is that females are gonna be more estrogenic and then males are gonna be more androgenic. So we should see higher circulating levels of things like testosterone for males and estrogen for females. And what that means is potentially a little bit different approach from training, right? Testosterone is gonna be more associated with overall body mass or lean muscle mass, 
We're females, we gotta maybe potentially regulate the amount of fat mass that we accumulate and preserve or build as much muscle mass in spite of a lower level of testosterone or more of these androgenic pathways. Not saying it's impossible, it's just being understanding of, okay, their genetic profile and their male-female differences are gonna create this, okay, well, I gotta associate, maybe I need to do more androgenic things if I wanna build lean muscle mass with females. Maybe I need to do more blood flow and stimulating things to get beta septa recite going through and helping more of these male counterparts, right? Females want to lose body fat in their umbilical area. It's not really that hard. Males want to lose it in that area. is really challenging. Same thing for females wanting to lose body fat in their lower body, where males is really easy, right? We naturally have this inverted, all right? If I have a lot of alpha receptors on my umbilical, I'm going to have a lot of beta receptors on my lower body and vice versa. So this idea of, okay, I can build muscle readily in certain aspects, but I have a hard time burning fat in certain areas, this is gonna become that. And this isn't spot reducing. You can put all the warm or all the cold and whatever you wanna do in a certain area, it's systemic. And we'll go through cold here in the practical, but when we're looking at thermogenesis and looking at cold immersion, it goes into more in this brown fat versus white fat distribution. And brown fat's just simply more more metabolic it has more mitochondria it has more blood flow and what that does is stimulates more beta cell receptors as opposed to the alpha cell receptors but what we do is create this like this idea that okay now i have these two camps right males females males are going to be more androgenic and store more body fat in their upper body we're having higher levels of alpha receptors there and females are going to store more body fat in their lower body and having more alpha receptors there and be more of a gynoid body type and when we're going through now this other idea of, of when I'm trying to break down, looking at, okay, how do I help the people around me as much as possible? Now I need to get a little bit bigger in terms of context for these, these hormones, right? And there's going to be a couple that I'm going to go through here. And again, this isn't the idea to like try to diagnose anyone. It's just having an understanding of it. And I put some really good resources in this, Cracking the Metabolic Code, Blood Never Lies, uh, you can look at other levels of good calories, bad calories. There's a lot of really good resources which I put through in terms of that. Um, it's just having an appreciation for this is really going to help you in terms of understanding, okay, what do I need to do from a nutritional standpoint and why am I doing it? The first one is insulin. Insulin is a really powerful anabolic hormone. It builds tissues, right? So when insulin is circulating, we're probably thinking about building tissues, hopefully muscle tissue, which is really important about nutrient timing. But a lot of times it's going to be a fat tissue, especially if we have that ball rolling in that hill. So the more circulating insulin usually means that we're producing more through the pancreas from eating energy-rich foods like really sugary, sweet foods that are going to produce a lot of insulin from the pancreas, right, from the beta cells of the pancreas. And then insulin circulates. And then it's looking for a home. If we have a lot of broken down muscle tissue with a lot of glycogen depletion, probably going to go there. Hence why having a high glycemic card for someone who's really lean post-workout is going to be really beneficial. On the other end, Maybe we don't have a lot of broken down tissue when maybe we don't have a lot of depleted muscle glycogen. Maybe we have a glycogen abundance. Our livers are full, our muscles are full because we're constantly in energy surplus and we're not really burning up much. So where is it going to go? And that's when it goes into adipose tissue. And just the interplay between our insulin goes there, insulin like growth factor starts to stimulate this process of letting that get admitted look at GLUT4 transporters in a muscle cell become resistant and then all of a sudden we start to use other GLUT transport systems that are going to allow for, allow for insulin to enter that cell and start to stimulate growth, right? It's just 
but not enter the cell, but turn on IGF-1 to enter that cell to stimulate growth. And we start to go through translation, transcription, and we start to build up fat tissue. We start to build those tissues up because we have a lot of circulating energy. Now, on the other end, it's a counter to that glucagon. Now, glucagon is this, is this other hormone that as we start to look at what insulin is trying to do, glucagon is from when we're in an energy depleted state. Right? Glucagon's key role is to produce energy, to stimulate gluconeogenesis, and looking at it as this catabolic hormone. So if I'm an energy surplus, typically I'm producing insulin. So if I want someone to lose body fat, I probably need to figure out ways to lower their insulin. If I want someone to increase lipolysis, probably need to figure out ways to stimulate glucagon. This is why fasting is taking on such a big thing. Right? We start to procure energy. We start to utilize cortisol in a more positive way. Right? Cortisol's primary role is to break down tissues and to figure out ways to get energy to do stuff like hunt and gather without energy coming in preceding it. Right? So I have insulin on one end, it's energy surplus, it's building tissues, and then glucon on the other end is breaking down tissues and trying to build in this mechanism to counter insulin. So intermittent feeding, uh, time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, looking at it from this context of glucagon's really gonna be facilitating that, but we'll get a lot more depth on that and practical. So then we're looking at it from the testosterone and estrogen standpoint, right? They both have the same precursor, right? So they both come from progesterone and they turn into DHEA and they might go into progesterone and then they start going into this next level of estrogen or testosterone, right? And when we look at this the same origin, right, it's this idea that, again, like always think about it as this fork in a road. One's gonna go left, one's gonna go right, depending on need and their, their genetics. So if they have a natural energetic, they're gonna start going down the testosterone pathway. Now it goes into this weird dynamic of, if I'm producing it but not using it, we start to see some things happen in terms of a hormonal level. Or if we're producing it and we're overusing it, you start to see the same thing. And you might see aromatase pathways of converting these this DHEA into some sort of estrogen down the road. And then we start to look at something like estrogen pathways. Okay, well, a lot of times we want to build up other tissues like fat tissues, right? Estrogen's a really powerful fat tissue anabolic hormone for a, a, a number of reasons. For, for mothers that have to breastfeed, for mothers that are reproducing, from a whole level of just warmth, and building up tissues, right? So we see insulin and estrogen have a really symbiotic relationship. So we can start to see these downstream effects of, of looking at creating these, these hormones from testosterone and estrogen, simply starting from there and functional need. And if I'm producing it, one, great. If I'm using it, overusing it, another whole thing. If I'm not using it, another whole thing. And then we start to look at the impacts of what we're doing from a lifestyle perspective. Are we sleeping enough? Are we eating enough? Are we working out too much? Are we working out too little? Are we looking at it from, are we doing basic level things like drinking water, eating vegetables, and having balance with our diet, eating enough amino acids? All these things are really, really foundational to, to having really good hormonal fo focus and, and control. Now, one thing that's interesting about testosterone is that it's, consist it's consistently shown to impact lipoprotein lipase, which breaks down adipose tissue and lean muscle mass, which automatically should tell you that men, generally speaking, should have a lower body fat, right? That's where it becomes really important to note the difference between males and females is men are going to have, should in theory, be lower body fat than females. 
because simply testosterone and more androgenic hormones are associated with more lipoprotein lipase, which is the enzyme that breaks down adipose tissues to create fatty acids circulating in the body to be used as energy. Here's the caveat. If I don't have enough beta cells in that area, I won't use this so much at level I should. And then the other part is if I don't have enough carnitine to shuttle that fatty acid into the cell and robust mitochondria to turn that fatty acid into a pyruvate to enter the cell to become acetyl-CoA to produce energy, again, I'm not going to be able to function right. Hence, coming back into having really good cardiovascular function, really good central nervous system function, really good immune system function, because all those things will get in the way. All these systems interplay. So as we start to break this down, what potentially might get in the way, it goes into cortisol. Sometimes cortisol is called the antagonist of testosterone. We start to see males have high levels of circulating cortisol. We start to see overactive alpha cells in the umbilical area. And we start to absorb more energy into that area. And we start to produce more fat tissue in that area. And this is perceived as this fight or flight. And this is a really interesting point. So so far, we've been talking about androgenic versus or android versus a gynoid body type is a waist to hip ratio. So something you'll see is potentially when we start to store a lot of body fat in that umbilical area, we can start to associate that with cortisol increasing uptake of alpha receptors and blocking beta receptors. And you think about it, if we have high levels of circulating cortisol, we're now in this fight or flight state Right? We start to go through the process of turning dopamine into epinephrine and norepinephrine, and we start to produce a lot of cortisol. Because your body thinks it's always in this state of stress. What would you do if you had a reserve of energy in this umbilical area that you don't know if you're going to need it immediately? Would you fight to preserve it? That's our armory for energy in our body. I'm going to use more readily available stuff like, like glycogen in the liver, muscle, muscle glycogen, and try to store that as much as you can. In fact, I'm going to be more conscientious. I'm going to be more reserved to using that, more reserved in using that for anything that I'm asked to do if I didn't have high levels of circulating cortisol because your body doesn't perceive itself to be in fight or flight. So cortisol circulating at a high level is going to stimulate alpha cell receptors and downturn beta cell receptors, blocking blood flow to the area and looking at it from the context of blocking lipase or lipolysis in that area. And what you'll see is when we start to look at males in this umbilical area from a body composition, they're storing a lot more of this white adipose tissue, this less blood flow rich, this less mitochondria rich tissue that's going to store more body fat that's going to be more restrictive to burning. Versus stuff like in the upper back area, we start to see males have higher levels of brown fat, which is more mitochondria rich and more blood flow rich, which is more of that shiver response. That's going to be more there, more more associated with beta cell and fat burning. So typically why you don't see males store a lot of body fat in their upper body until you do. Or their torso, their chest, and their upper back. Until you do. We start to go through aromatase pathways, we start to go insulin resistance, we start to develop too much insulin at release, and then we start to see this body fat start to accumulate in areas that don't make sense. This doesn't make sense from an evolutionary standpoint, from a fight or flight or survival standpoint. So we have to go back down to what is that android gynoid body type? Where should we see trends and patterns? We start to see excess turns in certain areas. Now we can start to look at that umbilical area potentially associated with cortisol. And then off of that note, we can start to look at maybe the love handle area, the a hip area associated with insulin release. Right? Because now we're starting to stimulate, we're blocking that blood flow to that area and we start to see this 
insulinic type of response of insulin resistance, excess level insulin. Going back to what I just mentioned before, that upper back, the scapular area, that, that area should be rich with brown fat and blood and mitochondria. That's our shiver response home center. And when we don't have enough, one, cold exposure, two, too much energy, and three, too much high energy yielding hormones like insulin, we start to produce a lot of fat in that area. And we start to see this as this really important manifestation and why we need to think about not just bioelectrical impedance, but more regional storage, right? Where am I stored? A seven-side Jackson Pollock, chest, tricep, mid-ax, scapula, bell, uh, umbilical, hip, and then thigh, all gives us a lot more insight in terms of where we're storing our body fat, and then we can start to formulate why. And it might reason why we need to associate different strategies from a nutritional standpoint, from an energy balance, from a macronutrient, from a macronutrient timing, from an exercise, right? From storing a lot of body fat in that umbilical area, probably don't want to do a lot of CNS activity stuff. That's going to really crank on that fight or flight. If I'm restricted in terms of blood flow and I'm not creating enough lipolysis in that area, then I might need to look at more blood flow rich things, increasing stroke volume, cardiac output to get blood to the peripheral to increase capillary density and mitochondria density. So the, the last hormone I'm going to really dive into is looking at leptin. And leptin is the ultimate determinant of, of adipose tissue. And I, I, I implore you guys to go back into Rob Jacobs uh, podcast that we did because uh, and about metabolism. Because he has a really interesting insight on leptin timing. And the other thing I haven't talked about is cortisol testosterone timing. Because I think that makes a huge, huge difference in terms of what we're seeing from these patterns and trends. But I didn't want to get too far in the weeds. I just want to kind of keep it simple to focus on the bigger picture of where males are more predisposed to android, females are more predisposed to gyroid. We start to see fat accumulation in the umbilical area, might be associated with cortisol. We start to be, see fat accumulation in the hip area, might be associated with more insulin release. We start to see more fat, uh, fat accumulation in the upper body, might be associated with um, insulin resistance. We start to see more fat association in the lower body. We might look at more estrogenic reasons. But leptin is this one that's kind of overall this Keystone piece in the siding and anchor function, right? If we have leptin released, leptin's released from the adipose tissue, and that right there in itself gives you some indication of where adipose tissue is really thinking it is, right? And if adipose tissue thinks that it's starving and it wants to absorb more energy, leptin will not be released. However, if we are in an energy depleted state, and I'm saying that with air quotes because we could artificially create that through training by depleting glycogen from both the muscle and liver, we could be doing it from a restricted feeding standpoint or intermittent fasting. We could do it from an energy expenditure. This whole thing is, or we could look at it from fasting mimicking like a ketogenic diet, which if you really look at the research, intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets are the same principles, producing ketones from not having a lot of high circulating amount of carbohydrates and protein. Fat doesn't have much of an impact on insulin and doesn't have much of an impact on androgenic hormones. So thinking it's in a state of, of food scarcity. But either way, if we look at leptin as responding to changes in energy balance and overall satiety, then you can start to use that as a catalytic step to start to determine how do I burn fat. That's why it's so important to look at what are the mindset and the tricks from a practical standpoint, from a lifestyle, to get people eating less and exercising more if you just simply want to just start, right? Like that's, that's key. And it all starts with leptin. And what Rob talked a lot about is circadian rhythm and looking at leptin's release at night. 
And if I don't have melatonin, I won't have growth hormone, and I won't have leptin release. And my body perceives itself as constantly hungry, even if it is overweight and it's obese. So looking at that, I won't release glucagon, ghrelin's this hunger hormone, that if I have offset leptin resistance, I'm not going re- to release ghrelin, which is, or I'm going to over-release ghrelin, which is going to be upregulated when I'm resistant to leptin or releasing it. And then I look at glucagon is not going out there and creating gluconeogenesis to help me build up, build up more energy utilization within the body internally. So breaking it all down, we're thinking right off the bat, my job here is to help someone with body composition, adding lean muscle mass or burning fat, that males are gonna be more predisposed to looking at storing body fat in their upper body, females in the lower body. Males are gonna be more androgenic, females are gonna be more estrogenic, that there's gonna be a certain interrelationship between testosterone and insulin for more males. And then we're looking at females as potentially looking at lower testosterone, higher estrogen, and how do we change the other ones from a lifestyle and a from a functional standpoint? Leptin, insulin, glucagon, ghrelin, all these things have a huge impact on someone's body composition. So that's just a start here. We're gonna get a lot more depth in terms of the of the practical section of this. And we're gonna go through, we're gonna go through how to make this a feedback loop to constantly make this work in positive, right? It's all about moving net positive over time. Right, so if I build in lifestyle and if I add in certain levels of macronutrients and thermodynamics and timing, then I can start to get a little bit more momentum, right? But overall, it's coming down to how do I just manage the weight? That I need all hormones, I just need certain ones at certain times and certain amounts at that time to really make the positive impact. And again, I can't state this enough, if I do have some pathology, just say, not my expertise. And I'm giving you permission to say, I don't have to do this. You don't have to manage pain. You don't have to manage someone with disease. You have clinically trained people that are wanting and capable of doing that at a much higher level than you. You need to be cognizant of what your role is, relatively speaking, when they are in that state to help them. Don't do things that cause pain and don't things that exacerbate an underlying pathology. So I hope that makes sense. Make sure you check out next week. We've got a practical. I think there's a lot of really great insights to go into off of that. And then in a couple of weeks, we have Trevor Love, who I think is just a brilliant guy in terms of understanding endocrine function. He's got a very simplistic view. He's done practical. He's done a high level. Does a lot with supplements. Works a lot of functional medicine doctors. I thought he did an amazing job. So I think that will be another great one for you to listen to as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Appreciate you guys stopping in and uh, taking the time. And we'll see you guys next week.